Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah. This is show number 1000. The past is just data. I only see the future. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Your ears are not deceiving you. That voice you've grown to love uh, is not mine. Uh, That is Mark's voice. For the 1,000th show, we decided to do something a little bit different. So I am Tommy Kendall, and I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest. Much like the Ford Motor Company would not exist without Henry Ford, Cars would not exist without Mark Green, that's right, the man who started it all at Cars yeah is our 1,000th guest. Today, we celebrate the 1,000th Cars yeah podcast, and Mark has asked me to flip the mic and interview him. So, Mark, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You know, if I'm going to get in a car with Tommy Kendall, I'm going to have a racing suit on, a helmet, five-point harness, driving gloves. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Well, you've got the wheel and the pedal. so. Uh, I can't wait. I'm sure everyone has benefited from your insight and curiosity at what makes people tick and behind the automotive passion. So let's get into it. I guess I should give you the formal introduction, though. Mark Green is the producer and host of the Cars Yeah! podcast. His is a five-days-a-week show where he interviews inspiring automotive enthusiasts. These are people from around the world who have wrapped their passion for cars, motorcycles, trucks, racing, and more into their businesses and lives. Cars Yeah! was founded almost four years ago, and since then, Mark has shared stories with over 1,000 guests. I was Mark's 500th guest back on May 2nd, 2016, and today you get to hear his story and how Cars Yeah! came to be. So, Mark, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Please take a moment and share some more about your career and your passion for automobiles. Well, first and foremost, Tommy, thanks for doing this. This is so cool. Uh, And to celebrate my 1,000th show Little did I know back uh, in 2016 when I was had the honor of, of having you on the show, which I thought was so cool that we'd flip the mic here and you'd uh, offer to interview me. So this is a this is a really cool thing for me. And uh, wow, uh, 1,000 shows. Sometimes I can't believe I've talked to that many people. Actually, more because some of my shows have more than one people on them. But that is pretty cool. But a little bit about me for my listeners, because my regular listeners have heard little snippets about me, but I typically don't talk too much about my past. I grew up in Southern California in La Jolla. I was a long-haired surfer back then when I had hair on my head. Time and nature has redistributed that hair in some odd way. I always loved cars. Um, was really into cars since I was a little kid. I had a Garten Cadillac that my uncle gave me when I was one. So I was driving that uh, Cadillac way back then. And I worked in the advertising field for 11 years in San Diego. I was a creative director, a designer, and an account executive. And then I landed an account, a startup company called Griot's Garage. And I became friends with Richard Griot and He asked me to come on board and help him build that brand from the beginning. So I started as the VP of marketing and merchandising and uh, helped build that brand, which I'm really proud of. And I was there for 20 plus years. And then I left about uh, four or five years ago, took a year off to kind of reassess what I wanted to do with myself. And uh, as we get into the questions here you have for me, Tommy, uh, this thing called Cars Yeah! was born. Well, it's uh, it's funny how you probably started it without grand ambitions, but I, I marvel at your sort of work at to pump five of these out a week. Yes, and uh, you know, you put your head down and look up a little while later, and here we are, a thousand shows in. So uh, your your guests, thank you, and it's nice to to hear more about you and what what led to this. So at Cars, yeah, we as we continue on your journey, we like to start with a success quote or mantra. This is a saying that has been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Mark, take the wheel. All right. You know, it's pretty cool when Tommy Kendall tells you to take the wheel. I feel pretty honored there. That's nice. Well, you know, having talked to a thousand people, I've heard so many great mantras and quotes from people. Uh, It's just new ones all the time, really cool, inspiring things. And I'm always kind of into that kind of thing. I like to set goals and use these things to guide myself. But one thing that I've been saying for some time, and especially since I did this huge pivot from my career at Griot's to Cars Yeah, was a quote by Ayrton Senna. 
And of course, we all know he's the late, great Formula One champion. He was somebody that I always followed in Formula One racing. And he had a quote that said, the past is just data. I only see the future. And what I love about that quote so much is it has some analogy to racing. As you know, Tommy, uh, when you're racing a car, you're always looking head up, way down the track. You're not as concerned about what's right in front of you. I know you are to a degree, but you're more concerned about the next corner, how you're going to get through it and how you're going to get out of it. And that's what I like about this quote, because when we dwell on our past too much, it kind of blurs the future and where we want to go. So that's why I like that quote. In fact, I like it so much, I put it on my business card. And uh, I just think it's something that we all should always be thinking about is looking ahead, way down the road. And thinking about where we want to go, where we need to be, whether it's on the track or in life or in our business or in our relationships, so that we can always be working towards that goal. Well, it's funny because one of the hardest things for drivers when they're learning how to race, when the adrenaline goes up, your eyes tend to go down. It's called low eyes. And Mm. the one thing that yields more benefit is if you get your eyes up, the rest of it happens a little more naturally. So that's a great quote that applies to everything. Like you said, obviously close to my heart with Ayrton Senna. He's the hero of just about every racer yeah. that has ever lived or is living now. You kind of answered a little bit with your business card, but how have you incorporated that success quote into your business, your life, and your passion for cars? Well, you talked about head down and working, and you definitely um, one man band here at Cars. Yeah, I do everything. And so when I embarked on this, I had a lot of family and friends that were very excited and supportive, but they said, how on earth are you going to find five people a week to do this show? And I said, look, there's a lot of car people, but yeah, that's kind of going to be a challenge. And it is, it is. I I send out four to 500 emails a week chasing people. Some people are very easy to get on the show fast. Tommy, you were one of those guys. You were so gracious when I asked you to be on the show and, and you responded quickly and we did it. Other people take a lot more nudging. Some people are kind of sensitive about being interviewed and they're kind of nervous. But I have to always be looking way ahead. I'm usually about four weeks ahead of myself. Uh, We're recording this show a month and a half before it actually goes up. But I have to be looking way ahead because I, I can't get myself in that position of recording a show today that goes up today because I've created this thousands of listeners in 80 countries now who are relying on me to fill their ears every morning with a show. And so I, I feel really, really dedicated to that, that I owe those listeners that show and I can't miss one. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very proud of something. I've not missed one show in almost four years, except once. And that was the day my father passed away. And of course, that took the wind out of my sails. And I ended up putting up a show that I'd already done. But I just feel a dedication. So like racing, I'm always looking way down the road, what's going to come, what could be next. And it's the same for my business and for my life and all of that. So there's your answer. Well, I like it's forced you because of the volume. You found people that might not, if you were booking like for the Tonight Show, it's only A-list people that have already proven themselves. It gives you the flexibility to get up and comers, take yep. some chances on people. And there, I'm sure there's been some great surprises for you. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yep. for your automotive journey, you know, we all, before we had careers at this, we all were kids and the fire got lit at some point. So will you share with us a story that instigated your passion with cars? Tell us about that pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy. Yeah, well, I think my mom talks about me wanting to play with cars since I was a kid. And my dad, he bought a 1949 MGTC when I was about five years old. And he was an architect. He was a designer, an artist, a very creative guy. And he had never had a sports car, and he wanted something unique and different. And a friend had this MGTC, and he bought it. And I just remember as a little kid standing in front of that big, tall grill. You know, when I was five, that grill looked huge. That's a tiny car, but it looked big to me. It had those low-slung doors that when I sat in it, I felt bigger than I was because your arm could actually rest on the door versus a regular car, where when you're a little kid, you can't do that. It had a right-hand drive. So when I was sitting in the left-hand seat and we were driving around, always with the top down, people would pull up and look down and go, what's that kid doing driving that car? That's crazy. And I'd laugh and they'd laugh and point at us and so forth. And the dashboard, I remember, was this engine-turned aluminum shiny color and those Jaeger grills that had that kind of green tint and the smell of the leather and the oil, and that did it. And my dad bought me my very first of hundreds of Matchbox cars that we all had, probably you did too. 
and Hot Wheels, which was a Jaguar XKE Red Coupe. My listeners have heard that story way too many times, but I still have it, still sitting right here in front of me on my desk. But I always say my dad got me started on that passion. And growing up in La Jolla, Southern California, the car culture down there was just crazy. There was always somebody around. I had a friend in school whose dad had cool cars, multiple people that had cool cars. So uh, it was an easy place to love cars, I think. No question. Obviously, the weather helps just in terms of top-down weather. But yeah. the other thing is with the lack of salt and snow and rust, the cars just – there's a lot more of the, the stuff sticking around and surviving. So oh, yeah. It's funny you talk about the smell because that's one thing I've been talking about recently about every car ha- – you know, the older cars, they have a very distinct smell, whether it's a Mercedes or a Ferrari, Porsche – and I don't know if it's it, – some of it has to do with the leather. It must have something to do with the glues. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. interesting how much of a signature it is, though. They do. They really do. Old Volkswagens. You, as soon as you stick your head in the window, you know that's an old Volkswagen. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. So it, and it's one of the more powerful – apparently, smell is one of the more powerful memory triggers that we have. Yeah, yeah exactly. One is near to my heart because it doesn't matter how good you are, you lose more races than you win. Mm. So this next one is – about a challenge. Mark, what I want to do is look at the roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and get some grease under our fingernails. Will you share with me a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced in your life or your career? And more importantly, how you overcame the situation and what you learned? You know, it's interesting because this is one of those questions that I think is one of the most important when I talk to people about their lives and how they've built cars and motorcycles, trucks into their careers. And now that it's getting flipped on me, this is a hard one because You have to look back at things that were really challenging for you. And for me, it has to be the change I made from working at Griot's Garage to leaving, making the decision to resign from that company and start my own company. You know, I was part of that company for 20 plus years. They were an account of mine for three years before I was asked to join the company. And I was asked to come in as the VP of marketing and merchandising. But it was a small company. There were very few people. When I started, there was just three or four of us. So you had to do everything. And that's fine because I was used to that with my, with my other firm. I was a creative director three days a week and then account executive two days a week. So I had to kind of switch roles there. And so I spent marvelous 20 plus years at Grio's Garage helping build that brand. I was very proud of what I did there. I got to do all sorts of things from writing copy to developing the product line, the car care line. And what was cool about that was when I was a kid, I had my own detailing business. And little did I know someday I would work in a company that manufactured car care products and sell them to people. So that's funny how that came back around. But the company changed and things changed and what I thought and where we were going changed. And I had to make the decision to leave. And there's a great book that I gave my kids when they went into junior high and high school and into college. I had them read it. And it's called Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson and Ken Blanchard. And it's a very simple book about two little mice who are in a maze and they go every day to find their cheese. And one day somebody moves the cheese. And one of them is the kind of mouse or person who can prepare for change and accepts change. And the other one is not. And of course, the guy who can't accept change ends up standing at the end of the maze with no cheese and dying. And so I had to kind of eat my own cheese, if you will, or wonder what am I going to do And I would encourage anybody out there to read that book because it's a real good book about accepting change. So I made the decision to leave, which was just incredibly hard because at that point I thought, what am I going to do with myself? And I took some time off because my father had fallen and broken his neck. He was 80 years old at the time, very active guy, but he had a serious injury that his doctors told us it's the Christopher Reeve break. I don't know how he's walking and alive. He should be dead or paralyzed. And my mother-in-law got cancer the same month that that happened to my dad. So my wife and I found ourselves having to try to help our parents uh, in very difficult times. Uh, We had a, I have a daughter and son who I'm very proud of. My daughter was already out of college, but my son was in school. So I had a very expensive tuition check to write every month. And so I was trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do? I've got to help my dad. My wife's got to help her mom. And We got done helping them, and I was trying to think this through, and then all of a sudden, my wife was diagnosed with a large cell tumor in her leg, which resulted in a very serious surgery, and she was unable to walk for months. I had to care for her, so I was home, and my son came home from college that summer, and I was in a 
pretty bad place. I just was like, what am I going to do? I just don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm too young to retire. I, I love working. I want to work, but I couldn't quite see myself anywhere. And I, I don't know why. It just I, I guess because I was so ingrained to all those years at Grios and I thought I was going to kind of end my career days there. And my son said to me, Dad, you've been taking me to car shows and car races forever. And what do I always tease you about? You can't walk by somebody without stopping, saying hello, asking them about their car and their business. Why don't you do that? And I said, well, how on earth do you make money doing that? If, if I knew that secret, I could bottle that and sell it to a lot of car guys and be a multimillionaire. And uh, he said, no. He goes, have you ever heard of this thing called podcasting? And I said, no, what's that? He said, well, while I'm in college and I'm in studio, I listen to these great podcasts. And he gave me a few to listen to. And I started listening to them, and I got the idea of creating a podcast around what I call inspiring automotive enthusiasts. That's my mantra for Cars Yeah. I would interview inspiring automotive enthusiasts and in turn share those interviews with others who are inspiring automotive enthusiasts or want to figure out a way to incorporate that into their life. And I spent about four months just diving in. I wrote this huge, big, giant business plan. That's the kind of thing I do. I probably shouldn't have even done that. <laughs> I've just wasted too much time. I figured out how to create a website, build a website, which I did myself, figured out how to record shows, started calling friends of mine saying, hey, if I did this, would you be a guest on my show? Everybody said, yeah, sure. That sounds fine. Because I knew a lot of people in the industry. And I set a date of May 28th to launch my show. That was one year after I'd left Grio. So there was some significance to that date that it marked a change, a pivot in my life that I could say, look, I'm doing something now for myself versus the other two companies I work for where I helped build those for somebody else. And about a week before I was going to launch, I had no shows recorded. I was starting to panic. Oh, this is going to be a dismal. I've been telling everybody about this. And I got a really nice call from a, a lady named Cindy Meidel, who's a PR person and she had a client and said, hey, my client Rick wants to be a guest on your show, the first guest on your show, and we recorded it. And from there, it all of a sudden, it's like being on a racetrack, Tommy. I mean, the checkered flag never came out. It's just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's how the whole thing was born. So out of the despair and the discomfort of change and the idea of what am I going to do came Cars Yeah. So it's kind of a, kind of a fun story for me to tell because it – it helps other people realize that, you know, if you have a serious thing happen in your life, and you can listen to the thousand past guests, I mean, your show alone, talking about that huge crash you had and coming back from that. And I've had so many crazy, wild stories that just blow me away from people that share what they've done and the fact that we can all come back and do something if we just put our head down and work really hard and reach out for help, too, from those around us. So that's, that's my challenging story. Wow. Well, from humble beginnings... And, you know, I, I have read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? I think I need to reread it. But, I mean, yeah. there's moving cheese. There's, like, life and death, in your case. I mean, serious consequence moving cheese. So, yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, good, simple message. But, I mean, you could argue that you – one of my favorite sayings is if you can't fix it, feature it. At the end, by yeah. you basically move your own cheese in a way, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's uh, a nice by, way to think of it. Yeah, so. Yeah, well, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and go to the other end of the spectrum. Share a story where you had an aha moment in your career, that time when the headlights came on and illuminated the way for a new idea or a direction. Well, I think I shared a little bit of it in that story. I probably jumped ahead, and that was that walk I was having with my son, Blake, because normally a son, when he's in college, looks up to the dad and says, Dad, what, what do you think I should do with my life? And in this case, the father looked at the son and he said, Blake, what am I going to do with my life? And he mentioned this podcast idea. And at the time, it sounded crazy to me. I just went, what? I, huh? I'm not that. I, I don't like being out in front. I mean, at Griot's, Richard Griot was the star. He was the guy with the name on the door. And my job was to make him look good, make the business look good. I was, even though running the business, was in the background. And this idea of me being in the foreground, being the host, if you will, the producer, the I mean, producer's not bad because I can produce stuff, but being the host... It was a really uncomfortable thing for me. And I had a, a good, I have a good friend, Adam, Tim Adams, who I said, Hey, can we do some test recordings? I'm going to pretend like you're a guest on my show. And I'll tell you, those first ones, I listened to them and I just went, Okay, time for another career change. This is horrible. I, I, I can't do this. I sound like an idiot. 
And my wife is Jill. I've been married to her for 33 plus years. She's so supportive. And she said, well, look, everybody had to start somewhere. Look at the first Seinfeld shows. They weren't very good. And but they kept perfecting their craft. They kept trying. And she said, I think what you need to do is just be yourself. You love talking with people. You love listening to people. Just don't pretend like you're interviewing. Just pretend like you're talking. And so I did a few more. I even interviewed my wife, Jill, pretended that was kind of an odd one, pretended like she was a race car driver or something like that. And I think the aha came for me when I shared those first test ones with some friends who I knew would tell me, well, you're on the wrong track, dude. You need to go find another profession. Came back to me, said, you got something here. This is cool. This is fun. I don't know of anything like this out there that focuses in the car industry on the interesting stories behind people, the backstories of people, the in-depthness. And if you can get people, if you can get them to bring out their stories and really pretend or not pretend that they're just pitching themselves, but they're really telling their stories, I think you've got something there. And that's when that aha light bulb came on. And I went, okay, I just need to be myself, not try to be some other podcaster, some other movie star, some other radio. I just need to be me and work with that and build that craft. And uh, that that helped me get over the hump of the first, say, 100 shows, which I, I'm not that proud of because they're, they're just not that good. I don't think I wasn't that good. My guests were great. I had some awesome friends and people that came on the show, but hopefully I've gotten a little better over time. Well, you, you, you're lucky to get some good counsel from your son and your wife. Uh, my wife gives me a lot of my good counsel. And she has a saying that applies to you here. Mm-hmm. It's interested is interesting. Mm. And, you know, when your son said you can't walk past someone without hearing their story. So there's a lot of good stories. And to be quite honest, people like to tell their stories. So yes. you're just giving them a forum and, and coaxing it out of them. So you know, thank you for sharing that. You, you must have married a great woman, too. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm very lucky. I, Robin Miller says I outkicked my coverage. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> my mom always told me to marry above my station. And I did that. And uh, sometimes it comes back to bite me because my wife is way smarter than I am. So, uh I uh, I have to remember that, but uh, no, she's an awesome partner. My kids are wonderful. Family's wonderful. So very, very fortunate guy. Well, I'm sure they're very proud, but this is going to be about what you consider your proudest business or career moment. Well, I think there's a couple. One is I'm very proud of what I helped build at Grio's Garage. I was a key integral part of building that brand because it was tasked to me from the beginning. And I'm really proud of what I did there uh, over time and uh, really proud, too. I was given the task of designing their corporate headquarters in Tacoma. And if anybody's ever visited that facility, it's quite extraordinary. It was really fun. I was pretty much given almost a blank check to do whatever I wanted. And uh, my wife called that my evening mistress because I would come home from 10, 11-hour workdays and then stay up till midnight or one working on designing that. It was an old 1940 Coca-Cola bottling building that was really in a bad way. And fortunately, Richard Grio had the vision, kind of like finding a barn fine car, that we could restore that place. And he allowed me to be very creative in what I did there. And that was very cool. But I really, now after four years of helping or working to build cars, yeah, I'm really proud of that because I've had the privilege of talking to so many inspirational people that have figured out the secret to happiness in life. And that's by incorporating their passion into what they do. And that is an honor that very few people, I think, have. And I'm going to keep working on that, keep trying to build that so that I can do even more and bring even more interesting things in the future. And the fact, too, that I'm really proud that I get to give these shows back to people for free. You don't have to pay to listen to Cars Yeah, It's a free podcast. So anybody can listen in. And when I go and look at my stats and I go, Really? There's people in 80 countries listening to me? That just, it's almost hard for me to fathom sometimes. 21 people in Cambodia listen to cars. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So it, I, I'm proud of that. It's, it's been a fun ride and uh, there's a lot more to go. A lot of track left. Well, I've remarked about the car world and how it, it hits probably the broadest cross-section of people that literally have nothing else in common. Yes. And so you've tapped into that. I mean, what it all revolves around is is the metal itself and the memories that they take or the experiences they take us on and the memories they create. So right. along those lines, time to have a little bit of fun with this. What was your first really special car and what special memories do you have with that car? Well, I would have to say uh, my 1974 Porsche 
9-11. And that's because I have been a Porsche fan since I was a little kid. I, I wanted a Porsche all through grade school, junior high, high school. That was the car I wanted. I had a few friends in school who were fortunate enough to have parents who had the money to give them Porsches. And those friends were nice enough to let me drive their cars. And I just go, man, someday, someday. And when I got my first job out of college, I got this cool poster of a red Porsche and I hung it above my desk. And it was my inspiration to work hard. And I said, you know what? Someday I'm going to be able to earn enough money to go buy one of these cars, pay cash for it, and drive one. And and I was. A couple years after we got married, uh, we bought a new house and had a little child, our first child, Paige, our little girl. And, of course, that kind of diverts the money to different directions, as we all know. But I'd saved up, and I found this 1974 Porsche 911 that a guy had completely restored. It was guards red black interior with red piping on the sports seats. I mean, he had all the cool little options. I think it was a Motolita steering wheel he'd put in it, something special, but oh, I love that car. And it was my daily driver for uh, several years, enjoyed it, but I would have to say that was the first special one. I've had many special cars since then, but since I always ask my guests for the first one, that's the one I have to bring up. Any particular outings or drives that stand out? Well, I used to drive it to work every day, so it kind of became a glove to me. I got very, very used to it. But one of my first things I did in it was I joined the Porsche Club. I actually had already joined the Porsche Club. I'd been a member since high school. But I I got involved with the Porsche Club, I should say, the local one in San Diego. And they used to go out to what was then called Jack Murphy Stadium in Mission Valley, and they would do autocrosses. So I would go out and do autocrosses with the guys, and they had drivers and things that would help us. And I got to take it to an event that was called the Porsche Design Experience or the Porsche Experience. I can't quite remember, but one of the driving instructors there, because Porsche brought these trailers and all these new Porsches, was none other than Vic Elford. And I got wow. assigned. Yeah, I know. It was like I was standing there going, please assign me to him. Because every one of the Porsche Experience guys were being were given one of us to drive with. And I got Vic Elford. And what's really cool is I've had Vic as a guest on my show and reminded him of that day. So we got to drive all the new Porsches with him sitting at my side telling me about all the fun stuff. And then we got to go out in our cars and drive them around the cones. And he gave me some tips on how to drive faster and how to be a better driver. And boy, I felt like I was like the new king of the road after having Vic Elford help teach me to drive. <laughs> that was that was probably one of the favorite times I ever had in that car. That is remarkable. Quick Vic. I mean, yes. legend. Not just- not just a good driver, legendary yeah. driver. So, yeah, wow. yeah. And still with us, thankfully. Yes. Well, I'm almost afraid to ask, do you still have <laughs> that 74 Porsche? Because our next question has to do with seller's or buyer's remorse. Yeah. Is a vehicle you sold that you really wished you could have back or one that you didn't buy and wished you could have? Well, there's a lot I wish I had bought. One was a 73 RS Carrera that I was so close to buying back when they were affordable, although at that time, it wasn't really affordable. I actually came home and said to my wife, uh, I think I'm going to take out a second mortgage on the house and buy this car. And in her infinite wisdom, as she always would put it, she would look at me and roll her eyes and say, well, if you think that's the smart thing to do. Of course, it was not a smart thing to do. But of course, in hindsight, if I kept the car all these years, it would have been a very good investment. So I missed out on that one. But there's two cars that come to mind. I bought a Beck Spider from John Wilhoyt in Long Beach. John's been a guest on my show. He restores and builds some of the finest 356s and 911s in the country. I mean, this guy is a very knowledgeable guy. And he built a Beck Spider for a client of his who had to unload it very quickly. His real estate empire had gone upside down, and he called me, and I bought that car. My son and I flew to Long Beach. We spent five days driving back up the coast in that car. Blake was only eight at the time. No top, no heat, no radio. It was the most delightful drive I think I've ever had in a car because having John built it, it was built all with Porsche parts, including a Speedster engine, and he had kind of done his little touches on it to make it go faster. So that one, I'm kind of sad I let go. And I'll tell you, my son has never forgiven me, but I had somebody offer me three times what I paid for it. It was just the right time. My daughter's college years were coming, and I saw those bills coming my way like a freight train. So I let it go. But that night at dinner, Blake was very angry when I told him I sold that car because of the memories. And you touched on that. Cars are about memories. And the other one is I had a 72 911S for 12 years that I let go. I'm not as sad about that car other than the fact that it's it's worth even more. I sold it for what I thought was a fortune. 
But um, my kids both learned how to drive a stick in that car. Um, I took it on many rallies and tours and drives. My son drove it a lot. But I think the one was probably the Beck. It's just because there's so many cool memories in that car, especially that trip with my son. That was that was something very special. Well, you wouldn't be a car guy if you didn't have a story like that. <laughs> I uh, guess so. <laughs> I mean, we literally wish we'd been able to. I mean, other than Jay Leno, almost everybody usually has to sell something. To get I know something else that guy. Jeez. That. Yeah. <laughs> he buys and doesn't sell. So I know. Awesome. I heard him say something once. He said, I buy cars, 50 point cars, restore them up to 100 and drive them back down to 50. Uh, <laughs> I wish we could all do that. <laughs> Well, I guess if we find the right level, we can't do it with the cars we want to do it with. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, I guess that's a good lead in to the next question, which is, is there a project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? You know, there is. And I, I'm really hesitant to talk about this because it's not, as we record this, it is not solid and signed yet. I'm going to touch on it anyway, because it's really exciting. And it has to do with creating a television show around my brand. I'm working on that. I've shot one. Uh, we're working on putting the whole deal together. We're very, very close at this time of this recording. I'm hoping by the time this comes out, it's all done so that I don't have uh, mud on my face. But uh, yeah, I've always kind of had in the back of my mind the idea that if I could have the, the budget to go out and do what I'm doing, but actually sit across from people, go into their businesses, show people the, all the visuals that they're hearing on my podcast, wouldn't that be a cool show? And apparently a bunch of people have thought it is. So that's what I'm working on. But that's all I can really say about it right now. So uh, definitely my listeners will hear about it when it becomes the real deal. Well, you've got a, you've got an installed audience for it, obviously. And, and like you said, the visual medium is so powerful. Yep. And uh, people love the story. So you add that component to it. And it's, it's an exciting time because a lot of the barriers to launching shows now, where whether it's on TV or web only, uh-huh. um, you don't have to... There isn't the sort of limited shelf space, that, if right. you will, like in a retail store. It's If you want to give it a whirl and if it finds an audience, you're off. Yeah, yeah. It's a very exciting time. Very exciting. Well, um, we're going to switch it up and get a little uh, esoteric here. Okay. <laughs> if you were a car, what kind of car would Mark be and why? Yeah, you know, this question is hard for a lot of my guests, and it trips them up because most people – will answer by saying what they wish they were, not what they perceive themselves as manifested into a car. So I always enjoy it when people say, you know, I'd like to be a Ferrari, but I'm a Volvo or I'm a Ford F-150. I just kind of keep on working. I'm not that sexy. I think for me, because I've had a passion for Porsche for so long, I'd be a 911. And it wouldn't be a new one. It would be an older one, probably something from the 70s. The old longer hood cars. It wouldn't be a race car. I wish I could say I, I was a race car, but I'm not that fast. I like the concept for me because Porsche has always delivered a very precise package of what they deliver. They know exactly what they want to do, and they work very hard to do it. And I like to think of myself as that. They're reliable, and they're dedicated to what they are. And that's what I've tried to be my whole life, whether I'm working for somebody or doing projects for myself or trying to help my children or my family or my wife and what I do. I try to be very reliable and steadfast, rock solid. Uh, my mom always said I was born an adult because I've always been so serious about everything. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to let my hair down. Of course, nowadays I have no hair to let down. But And Porsche has a lineage of not giving up. I mean, they have stuck with that 911 brand. I don't think there's any other car that can say they've had the look of something for – what has it been now, 60 years? I mean, it's just incredible. So I'd have to say that I'm an, an early 70s long hood 911. From my little experience with you, I can say you are reliable. As a matter of fact, when we were getting ready to do this, it was you always call on the minute you say you're going to call. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, well, I like him. And then I realized I was supposed to call you. So uh, <laughs> I won't <laughs> hold it against you at all. I know. You know, people always say, because I'm very thorough and that I send out this interview flow to people to think about. And I've had many people, and I'll tell you a quick story. Denise McCluggage paid me a high respect. She was a guest on my show before we lost her. What a wonderful woman. And when I talked to her before we did the show, she said, I have to tell you something, Mark. You are the most responsible, organized, polite man I have ever met. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to repeat that someday to people because I'll take that as a huge comp. Because Denise McCluggage, she'd been around a lot of guys her life, you know? 
So uh, yeah, I try I try to be very thorough, but I appreciate that comment. Thanks. You earned it. So well, Mark. Next up is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. And I want to before we. Sp- put the sponsor spots in here thank my sponsors because without sponsorships i couldn't do this it would be a hobby this is a career and i'm very very grateful for all the sponsors that i've had so here you go hey cars yeah listeners this is mark green i've been using covercraft covers to protect my cars and motorcycles since i was in high school way back in 1975 but covercraft has much more to offer than just vehicle covers This time of year is very hard on your vehicle's interiors. Rain, snow, dirt, and mud gets into the carpet and the seats, grinding away and destroying the original materials. It's important to preserve and protect your special ride with Covercraft floor mats and seat covers. That's what I do. They offer a wide variety of styles, colors, and materials, all designed to fit like a glove. They're easy to install and provide for anchor points and airbags for safety and a perfect fit. Protecting your vehicle adds value when you go to sell it, too. Simply go to Covercraft.com and order the style and color you like best, and boom, you're set. You'll thank me, and your vehicle will thank you as well. That's Covercraft.com, and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Mark, we're entering the last lap. This is where the action happens. This is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners quick blips of the throttle answer. Are you ready? I'm always ready, Tommy, especially when you're at the wheel. Here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? That was pretty easy. I raced vintage cars for 12 years. I raced a Lotus 18, 1960-year model, and I raced a 1967 Lola T290 in vintage racing. And the first race I had, it was raining. I was sitting there on the grid in my Lotus and I was, my leg was shaking. I was like, oh my gosh, this, what have I gotten myself into? And a good friend of mine who does trackside support and works on vintage cars, he's been a guest on the show, Louis Shefshik from JNL Fabricating, came up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, how you doing? And I said, I'm a little nervous. And he said, remember one thing, the throttle goes both ways. And I'll never forget that because it it helped me kind of modulate what I was doing and realize, okay, I need to be careful. I don't have to have my foot down all the time. This is just one of many fun races. And unlike you, it wasn't a career. It was just for fun. Take it easy. Be careful. And I'm proud to say I got through that race without crashing, but three other cars did not. So that was that was my start. The throttle goes both ways. Probably had a decent finish with that approach. Oh, well, I did, um, and I really loved it, uh, but the, the Lotus 18 was not a very fast car, and they always lumped me in with the Formula Fords, who had bigger engines, disc brakes, and so it was always a pain, but when I got in that Lola, things changed. I was up at the front, so that was cool. That two-liter DFE motor was awesome. Handles down the straightaway. That's, uh, that's always a key attribute. Yes. <laughs> Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? I have a really, really strong work ethic, and I attribute that to my dad. He grew up on a farm in Texas. He always told me, he said, you know what? You may not be as smart as the next guy. I hope he wasn't implying that he thought I wasn't smart. But he said, if you just outwork the next guy, you'll always get ahead. So get to work before the boss. Don't leave until the boss leaves. Um, I get up early every morning. That might have come from four years of being a paper boy, where I was up at 4 a.m. delivering papers, and then I'd go surf for an hour before I went to school. So 
But I always strive to do my best. I always kind of think about something my mom told me, and she said, always act as if you're in front of your grandmother. Would you do that in front of your grandmother? And it just, that thing just drills into my head. So I always think, you know what? I've got to work really hard. Always do your best, even when people aren't looking, and be honest and always try to be upbeat. Well, that's uh, that's good advice. I'm not sure I would commentate exactly the same way in front of my grandmother. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I want to put that thought into my head. No, I won't. I won't leave you with that, Tommy. You you already are a professional. You do a great job. So just keep doing what you're doing, pal. Working for you though. So um, thank you. Do you have a resource you would like to share with our listeners? Website, suppliers, an app, a person, something you would like to pass along. Oh, you know, that's easy. Uh, I would encourage listeners, and they've probably already done this and they haven't, I hope, is go to the Carja website. There's over a thousand inspiring automotive enthusiasts for you to select from. You can listen on any mobile app. I'm on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. I'm now on Spotify. It's all free. Um, if you go to the website, there's a great place there called Guest Recommended Books, where I've made it really easy for viewers to go and find all the great books, including the ones you recommended when you were on my show. And it's just a quick click. You just click, goes right to Amazon. You can buy it. It's an invaluable resource. I'm a, an avid reader. I love reading business books. And so I would encourage people to go to the Cars yeah website. I know that's kind of self-serving, but there really is an enormous supply of resources there. And the other thing is all my guests have their own show notes page. So you can access all those people from their show notes page if you want to learn more about them. Maybe you want to try to work for them. Maybe you want to uh, learn more about how they got to do it. And they've all been great about communicating with my listeners when they reach out. So carsyeah.com. Well, I'm going to press you for an actual book. You told us about Who Moved My Cheese, but favorite business book. Yeah. Um, one of the books I really like, I read it years ago called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And The E-Myth is a tremendous book for especially young businesses on helping them set up systems procedures and learn how to think of their business in a very different way. I've interviewed hundreds of small businesses where, it, and I'll think about uh, builders, designers, and fabricators, for example. And a lot of people go into business because they know a trade, but when they get into business, they don't know business and that trips them up. And this book, The E-Myth, and he writes some other books that are specific to different industries. I gave one to a contractor I hired because I had some challenges with him, and I said, you need to read this book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber for Contractors. Uh, I like that book quite a bit. Uh, I think it will help anybody in business, and I've referenced it and shared it with many, many people who really like it. Perfect. Yeah. Now, this is a good lead-in for in terms of resources. If you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Oh, wow. You know, this is a really hard one, too, and I've heard so many great answers this from my thousand plus people that have been on the show. And there's so many people that I can think of. But you know what? I, I lost my dad last June and I'd like to have another drink with him. Uh, he's the one that instilled my passion for cars, my passion for great design, for art, for living, for giving back, for strong uh, work ethic. And uh, he's the one I just wish I could have one more drink with dad. He wasn't really a drinker, and I'm not much of a drinker either, but we could have a Arnold Palmer. Yeah, it's okay. Well, that's, that says a lot about you. The guy you've probably spent as much time with, you'd like to have a little bit more. So that's, of course. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. You can find the links to all these resources at carsyad.com. Now it's time for the checkered flag. Yes. So, Mark, this last question is a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, something you couldn't sell to buy other cars with. Money was no object. What would it be and why? You know, I realize now that the microphone is flipped. This is a very evil question for a person. I, I put a lot, I've made a lot of people miserable with this one, but then again, I've, I've given away a thousand cars now, so that's not bad, but uh, I guess in my own mind. But this one is not that hard for me, but I'll touch on a couple things. There's three cars I've always lusted after. 73 Porsche Carrera RS or an RSR. I'll take either one. A 550 Spider, late 50s. I was born in the late 50s. Or a 58 Porsche Speedster. There was a guy in our street growing up that had one. We used to, to put our surfboards behind the little bucket seats there, and he used to take me down to Wind and Sea to go surfing. Those three cars have always been very near to my heart. As we all know, those cars have all gone through the stratosphere on pricing. So uh, 
I'll need to keep buying lottery tickets to buy one of those. But since it's fantasy time and since Tommy's buying me a car today, which is really cool, I might throw everybody for a little loop here. I would like to hire Rob Dickinson from Singer to build me a Porsche. And those uh. those guys that know about Rob Dickinson and Singer Porsche, the Porsche reimagined, realize that the key thing about this is it's like getting a new Porsche, but done exactly the way you want with much more powerful engine, better ride components, better brakes, all those kinds of things. So it'd be like going back in time and walking up to Dr. Porsche and saying, I want you to build me a custom car, and him saying yes. So I would call Rob and have him build me a Singer Porsche Reimagined. That's what I'd like to have in my garage. Well, we're going to order two. When I buy you yours, I'm going to buy me one. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. That's, well. <laughs> in my, that's in my fantasy four-car garage. That's actually my daily driver. I was really plexed with what I kicked out. And then Deb from Singer said, Deb Pollock, yeah. Make it your, make it your daily driver. I'm like, great idea. So so that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my daily driver in my four-car garage. Now, I said that was the last question. I'm going to flip the script, and I'm going to give you a question that's not on my list. Okay. This is the bonus question. Ooh. What have you learned about automotive passions in 999 shows? You, know, you, you had an idea about it before, yeah. and now you've, you've heard from all these people. What have you learned about automotive passions? You know, I, I appreciate you asking this question because it's really important, and it is a key thing that keeps coming back, and it's one word, people. This car passion that we are all about, the racing passion, your life in racing, my life following racing and playing a race car driver when I was being a vintage racer and being around cars, it always comes back to the people and the people that you get to meet, the people you get to be around, the people you get to learn from. I have found that cars overcome all social economic boundaries, political boundaries, races, religions, whatever it is. If you're a car guy and you meet another car guy, there's an instant bond that happens there in a camaraderie and a friendship. And I've heard this from many people in different industries who are car people but work in different industries, whether it's the Hollywood and the TV movie industry or I don't know, pick an industry. They've all said the same thing. They said, you know, in my industry, I can't just pick up the phone and get information from people. They always want something back from me or they, they're afraid I might be competition or they don't want to share anything. But if it's a car guy, he'll pick up the phone and talk for hours and find out if you need a part, you need help, you need to learn how to drive better, whatever it is. So I've learned that this passion that you and I, Tommy, have for cars and all the listeners at Cars Yeah and everybody else out there. It always goes back to the people we get to be around. That's the fun. That's why the cars and coffee phenomenon is just exploded. The Concord phenomenon has exploded across this country. It's about people coming together and sharing their experiences they have with these vehicles. That's what it's all about for me. Well, this might be, I've learned this the hard way. This might be a good time to point out that just because something is a tissue, it's called a Kleenex, even if it's not a Kleenex. <laughs> a car guy doesn't have to be a guy which I've learned. Yep. So it's a generic term for someone that is that gets it, that's serious and, and loves their car. So, exactly. Uh, a car guy, namely my mom, uh, <laughs> taught me about the whole thing about people. I used to develop all this film and bring all this film home from the races. And she was so patient. She Back then it wasn't free digital photos. You had to pay for it. And yeah. She said, I love the cars, but can you get some more of the people? Mm-hmm. And I remember... Oh, I said, it's all the cars. Now the pictures I love to look at aren't necessarily the car pictures. It's all the old black and whites to the people. So, yeah. Uh, I've taken me a while to, to appreciate that lesson from dear mom, one of my favorite car guys. Moms are, yeah, uh, moms well, are great. <laughs> you've taken us on a great ride. You've introduced us to a lot of these people that we wouldn't otherwise know and know in the way that we do because of car, yeah. So I've enjoyed your stories, and I suspect as I've enjoyed them, uh, I'm, I'm not alone with all your listeners. So thanks for sharing your journey. Please give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset. Well, thank you, Tommy, for doing this. This this means the world to me. Uh, Back when you were my 500th guest, you're the one that suggested this 1,000th show, and I really chewed on it for a long time. I I just wasn't so sure that I wanted to do it. I've always tried to have my show being about the people I interview, but I ran it by a couple dozen very regular listeners who communicate, and they all said, yes, do it, absolutely. So I'm very appreciative for your time today. What I'd like to share with people is what I've learned in the last four years with what I'm doing. I stepped way out of my comfort zone 
when I started this. I got involved in things I never thought I would do. I didn't know what I was doing. And we're living in a time right now that allows anyone to start and create a business of their own. Not only a hobby, if you just want to do that, but also you can earn a decent living at it. And you can reach out and genuinely contribute to others in a very, very meaningful way. But you have to be willing to work hard. You have to be willing to learn a lot of new things, get over those obstacles of some older guys like me that go, oh, that's too techy for me, and be willing to give back more than you think you're going to receive. I think that's the key secret. A great note to end on. Uh, what is our best way for listeners to learn more about you? I suspect they know, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's stick to the script. Absolutely. Well, you can find me at carsyad.com, of course, the website where all my shows are listed on any mobile podcast app you can find out there. I mentioned them before. I'm on Spotify now, which is pretty cool. They just started accepting podcasts. But also iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, depending on the mobile device you carry around. You can find me on two Facebook pages. Please follow me, friend me, Mark Green and Cars yeah. I have a Twitter account, at Cars yeah Podcast is Twitter. Instagram, at Cars yeah. YouTube, Cars yeah. Uh, you can find me all over the place. And uh, maybe one day soon you'll find me on TV too. So keep your fingers crossed there. You said that a time or two. Um, so well done. Very smooth. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today at carsia.com slash Mark Green, two E's and N and E. Or you can go to carsia.com and enter Mark in the search bar and your show notes page will pop right up. Congratulations, Mark, on your 1,000th Carsia show. I can't wait to hear the next 1,000 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Until we talk again, I will see you down the road. Thank you, Tommy. This was a pure delight. I very much appreciate it. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!